Hi, everybody. This is John Montoya. And this is John Parings. We're authorized infinite banking practitioners and hosts of the fifth edition. Today's episode number 17, how, when, and should you pay up a whole life policy? All right. This is going to be a good one. Maybe we should just define what we mean by paying up a whole life policy for people who are listening out there that don't already have one. What we're talking about is the length of time premium payments are made. And so usually a premium payment's made you know, every month. Sometimes you can do that quarterly. Sometimes people do it annually. And that's really just a matter of how many years in a row are you going to pay premiums on a whole life insurance policy. As opposed to a term policy, you're going to make you're going to make payments for say 20 years if the term policy is a 20-year term policy, or 30 years if it's a 30-year term policy. Well, with whole life, since it's a permanent life insurance policy, you can actually make premium payments. Usually, the max is all the way up to age 100, and then the policy stays in force or uh, you know stays active and alive. It's still you still have insurance all the way to age 121. But so the question often comes up: Well, do I have to make premium payments all the way to age 100 and a common misconception is that you do, but the reality is you, you do not actually have to make payments for that long. When we pay up a policy, we just make a decision to no longer make any more premium payments into that particular policy. Policy still stays active. It's in force. You have a death benefit. You have cash value that's growing on a guaranteed basis, and you're also earning dividends that are non-guaranteed after that. And so the policy continues to grow. You can still use policy loans. You can still do everything that you normally would do with a within a, a whole life insurance policy, but you just no longer make premium payments. Hopefully that's helpful just for people who don't already have a policy in place to just understand what we mean by paid up. A lot of people don't particularly understand that term. We definitely encounter that a lot because one of the biggest misconceptions out there is you have to pay premium for your entire life. You have to know that these policies can be completely customized. And not only that, not all whole life products are the same. Mm-hmm. And so a blanket statement like you have to pay premium every single year for life just isn't true. Um, or at least if it is, it's not the type of whole life policy that we're talking about for IBC implementation. And there are a lot of different types of whole life policies. Just to give you some examples, there are whole life policies that are solely for final expense. There are policies for juveniles. You may be familiar with the baby Gerber policies. Those have been popular for decades. There are whole life policies that you pay premium. They're designed for 10 years specifically, or 20 years, or maybe even 30 years. Or there could be products that will allow premiums only to a certain age. These are called paid up at 65, paid up at 75, 85, 100, right? so on and so forth. I mean, there's so many different product designs out there. And that's why if you've listened to previous episodes, you don't hear us talking about one specific life insurance company. Right. You know, we don't, we don't tout what is the best life insurance company to do IBC because in truth, there is no one best life insurance company and there's no one best product. There's so many to choose from. It all has to be customized. And as an IBC practitioner, when we get down into the customization of it, that's where the flexibility really is. And so when it comes to paying up a whole life policy, we're going to know which policies work best. But generally speaking, you're going to have that option to do what we call 
pay up. So yes. let's talk about the options that exist that people don't know about in mm -hmm. paying up a policy. Now, the most common one that I get asked about is using dividends to pay up a policy. So that definitely is one option. There's uh, offsetting the premium by using the death benefit you've accumulated with the purchase of paid up additions through the paid up additions writer. And then there's also a permanent election, which is available after the seventh year. You can choose this option anytime after the seventh year. And that is to do what we call RPU. That's an acronym that stands for reduced paid up. It's a permanent election. So once you elect this option, you can no longer put any more premium into your whole life policy. But the great part of it is that you're essentially reducing the death benefit so that you never have to put any more premium into it. You've reached that end goal where if we were taking, let's say money that you had positioned in the bank and for this example, not wanting to put it in the stock market. You just wanting to be conservative. You wanted to redirect that money into an IVC plan for any number of purposes, but you wanted that money ultra safe and ultra liquid. Let's say we did uh, a five pay, but because you haven't reached the seventh year, what we would do is offset the premium that's due in year six by reducing the death benefit year seven, we would then RPU, right? Reduce pay up the policy, but we're going to use that death benefit that has been increasing through the use of the paid up addition writer. And we're going to pay up the policy permanently. That could be the design of a five pay. And that's the first trade-off. The reduced paid up, when you pay up a policy, it's called reduced because the, the death benefit gets reduced one time. And then through the guaranteed growth plus dividends, the, the death benefit will start to grow again, but there's that one-time reduction in death benefit. And that reduction is proportional to how early you pay up the policy. If we were to take a middle ground, instead of between paid up at in five years and paid up at age 100, let's say we paid it up at age 65, that death benefit reduction would be much less because you've paid premiums into the policy for, for so many more years that the reduction would be less drastic. Everything's a trade-off and that's the first thing to understand. So if there's a if there's a need for death benefit, you know, a five pay may not be appropriate unless you have maybe a supplemental term policy or something like that to increase the initial face amount of your total life insurance. Right. And one of the things I do try to impress upon people is that if you're doing IBC right, you're going to have multiple policies versus just one. Now, I think we talked about it in a previous episode about future planning and and why you want to secure a term policy. In fact, that was the human life value episode. Yes. And, uh, why you want to maximize human life value. Back to the trade-offs, when you set up a plan where you're going to fund it for five years, seven years, whatever the case may be, is there going to be any more money after that point that I could put into a policy? And what happens at that point? You need to start a, a whole nother policy. So you have to keep in mind the funding period for an IBC policy should match the funding source. So we talk about using bank money to fund a policy. Okay, well, that's probably going to be a shorter pay policy. But if you're funding a policy from income, then we're going to match the lifespan of those premiums going into the policy based on how long you think you're going to work. With your first policy, let's say you're going to work till 65, but you get to age 60 and you decide you want to retire early. Well, which option do you choose? You, most likely, you're going to choose the RPU option. Mm -hmm. Yes, you would use the, the RPU option and reduce pay that up. And then oftentimes though, by having these longer pay periods, what it does is it gives you options later in life because there's one thing we know for certain is that everything will 
change. <laughs> so sometimes what happens is the source of income may change. We may want to look at having that ability to pay up the policy at age 65 when our employment income ends. But what, what often happens is we open up new sources of income from other retirement assets that could continue funding life insurance and move money from, say, for example, tax-deferred assets into tax-free assets. So there are a lot of ways to do it. And so just getting back to the trade-offs, that's another trade-off. The, the shorter pay you do, you've just reduced your options by that number of years. And so the longer you can stretch out the payments, the more options you have to either reduce pay up when you want or to keep funding it if you have the need to put additional tax-free money into somewhere that you can use it, like a whole life insurance policy. Let's talk about the dangers of paying up a policy too soon. Yeah. And I think it's a great thing to talk about because, you know, again, trade-offs, there's a lot of information out there that really touts the benefits of these short pay policies. And what they do is they, they talk about how much more money you can put into the cash value. You get faster cash value accumulation, which is true, but it's not the full story, right? So the, the danger is you, you just stuffed all this cash into it and it's going to take you about five or seven years to break even on the cash value. Remember, this is a long-term strategy. And at that time, right when you get to the point where you're breaking even, you're paying up the policy. And so you can no longer put any more money into this policy because it's paid up. You know, where else can you put cash where you could make, say, a $15,000 premium payment and at the end of the year have twenty-five dollars or $30,000 in liquid cash of growth, tax-free, by the way? nowhere. So, you know, if you're an investor out there, like a real estate investor or something, I mean, having the ability to put your cash somewhere where you have more than $1 uh, for every premium dollar you pay into it of liquid cash, it's huge. And so a lot of people miss that whole boat by focusing on these short pay policies and early cash value accumulation. And so I'm not saying early cash value accumulation is bad, but you could potentially be missing out on even more benefits if you had a longer term view. Yeah, I think it all boils down to money has to reside someplace. Right. And so if you pay up a policy, where is that money going to reside that you have coming in? And don't forget, just because you're retired doesn't mean that you don't have money coming in. You may have money coming in from a pension, from Social Security, That's right. from other sources. You know, at the end of the day, hopefully you're not spending more than you're bringing in. My mom's situation, she's been retired for over a decade, well over a decade. And she still talks about the money that she saves every single month. Yep. Um, and part that's just because of who she is. And she's very disciplined about what she uh, spends her money on. But she always talks about saving money, even in retirement. And so great. yeah, it's money has to reside someplace. So if you pay up a policy, okay, well, you just have to realize now you're going to be putting that money someplace else. So it's something you definitely want to think through before you actually take the steps to pay up the policy using any one of the options that we've discussed. Uh, there was another angle I wanted to talk about too, mm -hmm. um, and this is in regards to paying up a policy too soon. Mm -hmm. Because if you reduce the death benefit, and let's say you haven't funded the policy, you haven't overfunded the policy, what could potentially happen is if you reduce the death benefit too severely, you drop that death benefit by a large amount, there may not be 
enough death benefit in that policy to support the cash value that's in there, meaning you could take an IBC policy, which should be designed as a non-modified endowment contract, what we call a non-MEC, and jeopardize it. It could turn into a MEC. And this is something that as IBC practitioners, we're always striving to avoid. Reducing the death benefit to pay up a policy, that could potentially cause a, a non-MEC to turn into a mech. In 13 years of doing IBC, I haven't encountered it. And I'll tell you the, the number one reason why. It's this, these IBC policies that we set up for our clients, they're extremely flexible because of that paid up addition writer. Yeah. And all of my clients from day one, they go into their IBC policies overfunding it from the very first premium payment. And what happens is that overfunding with the PUA writer, that not only accumulates cash value, it also buys up more death benefit. And it's yep. it's this additional death benefit at no future cost, which gives you the option later to RPU whenever you want. And so I really don't encounter these problems of a non-MEC turning into a MEC because you decide to permanently pay up a policy or even temporarily pay up a policy simply because the policies are so well overfunded for IBC that there is sufficient enough amount of death benefit to allow you that flexibility of paying up a policy, whether it's for 12 months or forever. Yeah. And an, another angle to the flexibility of the paid up additions rider is sometimes one cause of having to reduce pay up a policy is that you run into a situation where you, you no longer have the, the money to fund the premium for whatever reason. Well, the paid up additions rider allows us to reduce the amount of premium required to keep the policy in force. And so that's another, another area of flexibility where um, we may not have to reduce pay up because we do have that flexibility to move up and down within limits to keep the policy in force. Yeah, tons of flexibility. And what type of permanent cash value policies have a PUA writer? Whole life insurance. What other ones though? You stumped me. <laughs> and I meant to because there is no other, right? Yeah. Yep. That's right. <laughs> So you already knew the answer, uh, but I was giving you a trick question. And I apologize. You, yeah, you, you knew it. You knew it. But I, I, I asked that question because I want people, I want our listeners to really understand that this flexibility of paying up a whole life policy because of how we fund it with that PUA writer and then giving ourselves the option to RPU later on, that exists because we're using a whole life policy. And right. you know, the, the thing that people hear about whole life, it's not flexible. Right. That's we right. talked about how people think they got to pay premium forever. And the second thing is, oh man, it's, it's just not flexible. You know, once I have a premium payment, I'm stuck at that premium for life. I can't, yes. I can't reduce it. Well, of course you can, if you have that paid up addition writer built into your policy. Really at the end of the day, it's, it's about what we talk about all the time. It's about creating options for yourself down the road. It's certainly appropriate in some cases to pay up a policy early. And in some cases, it's more appropriate to have a longer period of time to pay premiums into a policy. And so I will say that, you know, the trade-offs again are the longer you can pay into a policy, the more options you create for yourself. Because what happens is you, you create more, just for lack of a better term, room within the policy 
to put more paid up additions should you experience uh, you know a windfall of some sorts you create a larger policy at, in the long run the longer you can pay into it and it gives you a lot more flexibility as you as we've kind of talked about already especially with regards to if a if a policy will mech um, how much extra paid up additions you could put into it if you come across some money. You know, the other danger, if I could kind of circle back to that, of paying up a policy early is we never know what our health is going to be tomorrow. If we have a policy that gets paid up in five years and I'm now in year four and I, you know, come down with some kind of chronic illness, right, non-terminal, but now I can no longer qualify for insurance. You know, the idea of having multiple IBC policies, it's this uh, balancing act that we really have to take a look and really look at the long-term approach of, of all these policies where if I'm still young, but if, I, if something happens to me and I can no longer qualify for insurance, all of a sudden that one five pay is all I get, right? Whereas if I have a longer payment period, that's a policy that I can fund and I have more room to fund it for a longer period of time. And I end up with much more life insurance, death benefit, and much more cash value than I could if I just did a five pay. So, you know, those are some things to think about in terms of the, in terms of, again, the trade-offs. Yeah. I like what you said there. I think for me, it, it, it all comes back to flexibility and just making sure that you always have a place to park money. Yep. And getting hung up on that early cash value, I'm not saying it doesn't have value, but it doesn't have as much as people think. Because what happens is people look at, they say, well, I could put $20,000 a year for five years into this policy and the cash value looks better than policy that I do $10,000 a year to age 65. What's not realized is the time value of money. You can't compare 20,000 a year for five years to, you know, what did I say? 15,000 or 10,000 a year for 30 years. It's a different calculation. And that's where the internal rate of return comes in. And it's not as, it's not that much worse <laughs> to do these long payment periods. And in fact, if you, if you account for all the cash flow that you can put into the policy, you'll end up with a much bigger policy that gives you much more flexibility into the future, all other things considered. That just takes me back to the funding period should match the funding source. That's a great right? rule of thumb. Yeah. Just because you make X amount a year, first off, you can't get every single dollar into a policy in the first year. That's right. Right. You can't take your entire income and just throw it into a policy. The underwriters won't allow it. Another hat tip to Ryan Griggs. He has a great article about that where he just kind of admonishes the idea of trying to get 100% liquidity out of a cash value life insurance policy. He's like, if you want to be 100% liquid, just keep your money in cash, you know? So people lose sight of all the other benefits that, you know, life insurance can provide from a cash value perspective. And, you know, there's a, there's a funding period, just like any other business that you start, right? It's not, do you get a hundred percent liquidity out of your business? If you start one, usually the answer is no. And so uh, it takes a little bit of time to get the business of banking up and running in your, in your personal life. The beauty is though, once you have it, you do have this flexibility of when to pay up the policy, you know, just to tie things back in. That's really what we want people to focus on is that you have the flexibility to call it a day when you're ready. You make that determination. It's completely up to you. You're not obligated to pay a premium for your entire life. Well said. I think that's good for this episode. If you're out there listening, please 
Feel free to subscribe so you get all of our future episodes and leave us a five-star review. Let us know how we're doing. And you can always find us at thefifthedition.com.